You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. APT-31 casts its net into some waters that aren't yet fished out. Vulnerabilities in the niche stack TCPIP stack are reported. Lemon Duck may be outgrowing its beginnings as a crypto-jacking botnet. A large marketing database is found exposed. NSA and CISA offer advice on securing Kubernetes clusters. Adam Dara from ZeroFox checks in from the floor at Black Hat. Our guests are Nick Fillingham and Natalia Gadilia from Microsoft Security Unlocked podcast. David DeFore from Webroot on the hidden costs of ransomware. And Huawei's CFO returns to court as her extradition hearings enter their endgame. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, August 4th, 2021. Positive Technologies, the Moscow-based security company with operations in multiple countries, late yesterday reported widespread activity by APT-31, also known as Zirconium, Judgment Panda, and Hurricane Panda, a Chinese cyber espionage group usually associated with collection against governments in pursuit of Beijing's strategic goals. Between January and July of this year, the campaign used phishing emails to prospect targets in Mongolia, Canada, Belarus, the United States, and, unusually, Russia. Positive technologies close to the Russian government and to participate in the Gossopka information sharing system that Russia's CERT oversees intends to keep Russian organizations in particular apprised of APT-31's activities— The company believes this marks Hurricane Panda's first significant effort against Russian targets. It also expects the activity to continue, at least over the near term. Since the Hurricane Panda's typical approach has been through phishing emails, the usual cautions about proper suspicion and skepticism with respect to the stuff that shows up in your inbox would apply. Security firm Forescout and security research shop JFrog this morning disclosed their discovery of 14 vulnerabilities in the niche stack TCPIP stack, widely used in OT and industrial IoT environments. The vulnerabilities could be exploited for remote code execution, denial of service, information theft, TCP spoofing, or DNS cache poisoning. Recommended mitigations include prompt application of patches when they're available, network segmentation, and blocking unused protocols. Forescout sensibly acknowledges the difficulty of patching operational systems with their mission criticality and multiple dependencies 
and offers a range of things organizations can do until they're able to apply available fixes. The Lemon Duck Botnet, once known as a small potatoes crypto jacking operation, has outgrown its origins, the record reports. It's become massive and is showing signs of expanding its capabilities to include hands-on keyboard intrusions into hacked networks. This suggests a possible move into ransomware or destructive attacks in the near future. Researchers at security firm Gardacor first described Lemon Duck in 2019, and Microsoft, within the past two weeks, devoted a two-part series to Lemon Duck and Lemon Cat, as is usually the case, the bad actors run by many names. It would be convenient to simply call them Legion. Lemon Duck is now a cross-platform threat, infesting both Windows and Linux systems, and it also operates as a loader. We disclose, again, that Microsoft is a CyberWire partner. The Gardacore malware analyst, Ophir Harpaz, who first noticed Lemon Duck back in the day, told the record that it began as a classic spray-and-pray cryptojacker. But even in its early stages, Lemon Duck, while small, seemed to be serious about its business and determined to build for the future. They showed strong technical chops, for one thing. Quote, Their multi-stage PowerShell scripts were more complex and obfuscated than others, and they already made extensive use of open-source tools for code execution and infection, end quote. And some of the features Microsoft called out were there from the get-go. Credential theft, removal of security controls, and lateral movement, they were all there from the very start. So for now, while Lemon Duck remains a mining operation, we may be seeing an incipient entrant into the criminal-to-criminal ransomware-as-a-service sector. The annual Black Hat Conference is officially underway in Las Vegas, albeit with lighter crowds, as many have chosen to sit this one out thanks to COVID. I checked in with Zero Fox's Adam Dara from the Black Hat show floor to get his sense for how it's going. We anticipated the same thing everybody else was anticipating. You know, we were watching the news closely on what what Black Hat had in mind uh, as far as like rules, regulations, best practices. And uh, I will say that um, they're, they're doing a great job so far in, uh, you know, p- people are being very courteous. People are being kind, respectful of, of you, know, you know, maybe not wanting to be so close, shake hands and stuff. But, you know, in the run up to it all, um, at the end of the day, it was we expected a lot less people to show up. I mean, some vendors, some pretty major vendors uh, we had heard pulled out and judging by the, you know, the floor right now, um, you can definitely tell that there's it's definitely been tamed a bit as far as vendor participation and even like uh, user participation. But, uh, you know, we just decided that it would still be worth our time and our efforts to, to be safe, to be reasonable and to give people an opportunity to vote, to meet with us in person, you know, because those relationships matter. And I think people are are excited to, you know, meet with each other face to face in a in a in a reasonably safe manner as is possible. So. We just went for it, man. You know, I've heard folks say that when you have a year like this where attendance is down, it might not actually be such a bad thing because you get to spend more time with the folks who are interested in having a substantive conversation. You can actually step aside and and have the time you need to make those things happen. Yeah, so (laughs) I I happen to agree with that. Um, You know, you definitely don't want people to get the impression that you're, you're not caring you're not attentive to what they're doing. So if you're sitting, you know, if you're sitting in a booth or walking down the hallway, you see somebody that you know, you definitely want to give them the time they deserve. 
Um, so this year definitely will uh, afford us that opportunity. Uh, however, um, <laughs> in the opening hours, uh, we are still seeing quite a rush. Uh, so we, we'll see if that dies down as, as the day as the days continue. But um, I happen to agree with you. I, I really love and prefer taking the time one-on-one to be thoughtful with my answers, to be substantively, substantively accurate with my answers and make sure we're resolving the concerns or, or seeing things through to the end. So, yeah, that, that's definitely the vibe this year, I think, is, is what I've seen so far. What about beyond the show itself? You know, a big part of events like this are being able to get together with friends and colleagues you don't get to see uh, very often. Is, are those sorts of things still happening? Absolutely. Uh, wow, that's loud. Uh, (laughs) very festive um yes so um those things are happening um you know based on just my personal preferences um i find it quite therapeutic to be back in person talking to people uh you know shaking hands giving hugs high fives elbow high fives whatever people people are comfortable with um it, it it definitely provides um an added layer of trust in the security business, I think trust is paramount. Mutual trust and respect is paramount. And to be able to reestablish that in-person, face-to-face, touch, talking, just all those things are, are, are great. And they are happening outside of the venue itself, which is really refreshing to see. That's Adam Dara from Zero Fox. VPN Mentor reports finding an unsecured database maintained by business-to-business marketing firm One More Lead. The database included personal data on between 63 million and 126 million people in the U.S. One More Lead secured the data when VPN Mentor contacted them. How the data were collected in the first place remains unclear, and VPN Mentor speculates about possible connections to earlier incidents involving other marketing outfits. NSA and CISA issued joint guidance on Kubernetes configurations intended to help organizations build and maintain secure Kubernetes clusters. The two agencies explain, quote, Kubernetes is an open-source system that automates the deployment, scaling, and management of applications run in containers. Kubernetes clusters are often hosted in a cloud environment and provide increased flexibility from traditional software platforms. The report details recommendations to harden Kubernetes systems. Primary actions include the scanning of containers and pods for vulnerabilities or misconfigurations, running containers and pods with the least privileges possible, and using network separation, firewalls, strong authentication, and log auditing. End quote. The advisory also details the reasons threat actors are interested in Kubernetes. Quote, Kubernetes is commonly targeted for three reasons, data theft, computational power theft, or denial of service. Data theft is traditionally the primary motivation. However, cyber actors may attempt to use Kubernetes to harness a network's underlying infrastructure for computational power for purposes such as cryptocurrency mining. End quote. And finally, the extradition hearing for Huawei CFO Meng Wangzhou is entering its final stages out in Vancouver, where Canadian authorities are considering whether to honor the U.S. request that she be expedited to face charges related to alleged illegal Huawei trade with Iran. She's been in Vancouver since she was detained on a U.S. request in December of 2018. 
Bloomberg says that if you bet on form, the odds of Canada sending her south to the U.S. are about 100 to 1 in favor of extradition. The case involves some murky financing Huawei is said to have arranged with bankers at HSBC involving a subsidiary or partner, the relationship was obscure, Skycom. Skycom is said to have tried to sell HP equipment to a service provider in Iran, which would constitute a violation of U.S. sanctions on Tehran. Meng is alleged to have lied about Skycom's true relationship to Huawei. An essay in light reading, while not particularly friendly to Huawei, or blind to the questionable aspects of the company's operations that have brought it hostile U.S. security regulation, thinks the prosecution of Meng looks at this point vindictive, especially since she's been stuck in Vancouver, effectively under house arrest, for more than two years. And given the reach and effectiveness of U.S. sanctions on Huawei, if Meng's prosecution is intended as a further measure against the company, it seems to amount to making the rubble jump. In any event, the case is nearing its conclusion and should be decided soon. The latest round of hearings began today. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration, Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. We here at the CyberWire are very pleased to announce that another Microsoft cybersecurity podcast is joining the CyberWire podcast network. 
The show is called Microsoft Security Unlocked, and it's hosted by Natalia Gadilia and Nick Fillingham, who join me with a preview of what to expect. Um, we're, we're very fortunate. You know, there's I mean, literally thousands of people at Microsoft working on security, um, be it, you know, building AI, be it building product, uh, and actually protecting customers. And so we are in a very fortunate position that we can uh, send them an email and say, hey, we've got this little podcast and uh, we think you're doing some cool stuff. Can we can we talk to you about it and, and try and uh, bring to light some of the, you know, the great, you know, new techniques or research that's being uncovered on a daily basis. Um, it's, a, it's a very fun job. Natalia and I are very fortunate and we're, we're very much enjoying the podcast. Other than just having the massive Rolodex, we also are fortunate to have so many eager new guests. The Microsoft security folks are so excited to share the work that they're doing. So you can feel that energy on the show. And it's also just awesome to continuously have new guests who want to come on and and share the work that they're doing. It really speaks back to that mission-driven approach to security. As a as the co-hosts and sort of the producers of this podcast, we really do want to make sure that we aren't, you know, just talking about Microsoft and Microsoft products. We actually try not to say the word Microsoft in the podcast uh, <laughs> or the names of the pro, uh, of the products because that's not what this is about. This is about bringing to light the work that really, really talented and experienced uh, people, uh, dedicated folks, uh, you know, at Microsoft really across the globe are doing to protect uh, obviously ourselves and our customers, but also really trying to make the cyberspace sort of a, a safer place. Um, some of the more recent episodes we did uh, we a very recent episode was about how do you have cybersecurity conversations with business partners that have no idea what cybersecurity is. So that wasn't a technical discussion at all. It was really about how do you talk to people that don't really understand your domain. Um, and then we've also dived into um, you know the nuts and bolts of sort of the Rust programming language, and we've looked at how do you secure firmware, and we've we've really gone up and down the stack. It's it, we we cover a very very wide. Uh, range of topics. You know, Natalia, I'm curious, you you all uh, are a few dozen episodes in now. What is the the value proposition that you think the two of you bring to the table? What's the, do do each of you as co-hosts bring uh, a different perspective to the program? I don't know about perspective, but I I do think that we we tend to ask different questions, which uh, is great. We complement each other in that way. Um, I'm going to speak for both of us, Nick, but you can correct me. I think we're just both really interested in the cybersecurity domain. So you, we have that inherent passion and we're both very curious. And so we come to these episodes and, and speak to our guests with that perspective in mind, just eager to find out what they're doing um, and eager to unlock that for, ooh, I used unlock to look at that. Um, <laughs> unlock that for nice. our audience. <laughs> Well, one thing I'll add is I'm not a security professional. That's not my background. Um, And, you know, I've been at Microsoft a long time. I've sort of been in the technical space for a long time, but I don't come from a professional cybersecurity background. And so I actually use that, I I hope, to to the benefit of the audience. I hopefully get to ask some questions that maybe sometimes don't get asked because they're thought of as, you know, sort of table stakes. Um, So we do revisit a lot of those sort of fundamentals. And I hope that the the audience sort of appreciates that because we will from time to time come back and say, you know what, that's a sort of a buzzy word that we've used a lot there. Let's just sort of pause and sort of revisit what that means and wrap our head around that concept. So, 
you know, I think, you know, Natalia and I have 40 odd episodes in on this one. So we we're starting to, to understand the space, but we're also sort of bringing to it that sort of fresh perspective of people that, you know, want to make sure that we're not glossing over a concept or an idea or a technique that may not be familiar to everybody. Now, Nick, just for a point of clarification here, I mean, previously uh, joining our CyberWire network was Microsoft Security Unlocked CISO series. This is Microsoft Security Unlocked uh, in in a a bit of challenging branding differentiation there. (laughs) Can you help (laughs) us understand the difference between the two shows and uh, and, uh, so that people aren't confused and, and know why they should tune into this one? Yeah, Dave. Uh, thanks. We we'll, we'll get we'll get on trying to create some clarity there. We might need to revisit those brands. <laughs> but yeah, there are two podcasts. The first one is Security Unlocked that Natalia and I co-host. That's a weekly podcast. We've been going for about forty episodes now, and that's where we we have conversations with you know really anyone and everyone at Microsoft working on security, and and we, we'll cover a really wide range of topics based on what's going on. Security Unlocked CISO series with Brett Arsenault, uh, that actually came to the CyberWire uh, earlier, uh, a couple months back, and that is with Microsoft's Chief Information Security Officer, our CISO, Brett Arsenault. Uh, we have been pestering Brett for years to allow us to create a podcast with him. Yeah, he has the ultimate Rolodex. And so his podcast comes out every two weeks, uh, and that's him having conversations with his uh, security leader, colleagues at Microsoft, um, but also some of the CISOs of, you know, the biggest and, and most interesting companies out there. TikTok CISO, uh, Lululemon, um, you know, telcos, uh, you name it, uh, he knows them all. And that's what's happening on his podcast. I would say to uh, CyberWire listeners, you should really subscribe to both and listen to both, but they are they are different podcasts. One is weekly, that's Natalia and myself. And then Brett comes out every two weeks where he chats to other CISOs. I have to say, uh, for for our listeners who may not have yet checked out uh, Security Unlocked, uh, there there is a, a tremendous amount of energy and a real sense of curiosity there that I think is contagious. And uh, one of the things I like about it is that there's something for everyone. You can be someone who's just starting out uh, on their journey uh, or someone who's a seasoned uh, pro who's been at this for a while. And the spectrum of things that you all cover, as you say, is is so wide everybody can get something out of it. It's, uh, it's time well spent. That's Natalia Gadilia and Nick Fillingham. They are co-hosts of the Microsoft Security Unlocked podcast. You can find it on our website, thecyberwire.com, or wherever the fine podcasts are listed. I'm pleased to be joined once again by David DeFore. He's the Vice President of Engineering and Cybersecurity at WebRoot. David, it's always great to have you back. Um, You know, we've been seeing a lot in the news, obviously, about ransomware, uh, certainly a hot topic. I wanted to touch base with you today about some of the things that are kind of running below the surface, some of those hidden costs that folks don't always think of when it comes to ransomware. What can you share with us today? Um, yeah, David. So, uh, yes, it is in the news everywhere. First of all, great to be back. Love being on the show. Um, but yet, uh, you know, we think about the the paying the ransom. We think about the the folks who maybe you're not able to deliver your solutions or, or, or do business um, when, when you've been affected by ransomware. But there are a lot of other costs behind the scenes, some of them tangible, some of them intangible that, that I think a lot of people need to think about. Hmm. Well, let's go through some of them together. 
Well, uh, operationally, one of the first things you have to think of, um, how much is it going to cost you to get back up and running? And, and that's not just, I have to restore some computers. You know, there could be systems that went down hard that may be affected directly by how are you going to bring them back online? These, these large industrial systems, you don't just flip a power switch and turn them back on. You know, you, you don't reboot them like a PC or something. Um, there, mm. there's a lot of effort operationally in bringing large industrial systems, um, online. And that's something people aren't thinking about. Hmm. What other things, uh, are you thinking of here? Well, there's the brand reputation. I mean, you and I are—you can't really hurt our brand because our reputations no, no, are it's terrible. No, no, the bottom of the can't go lower than zero. That's yeah. exactly right. So we don't worry about that. But <laughs> no, you know, there's a lot of really good companies out there that that this brand reputation is a, is a big deal. And 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 one of the things we say tongue in cheek is, it's always nice to be the security guy of the competitor of the company that got hacked because all of a sudden you're going to get a lot of money because the, the, you didn't get hacked, but, but your, your company doesn't want your brand to go bad. Um, so mm-hmm. if it happens in your industry and it's one hop over, um, you know, that's when people start paying attention and saying, you know, this really does affect our brand and, and we've got to keep our reputation strong. Right, right. What, what do I have to do security person to keep that from happening to us? That's exactly right. And it, and again, you might see it happen in healthcare, but recently here, if you're in oil and gas, you're like, well, we're not healthcare. We don't care about that. But I, I promise you, everyone who was uh, a competitor of JBS, <laughs> their security people got a bump in their in their annual budget. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Any other ones that come to mind for you? You know, it's just a general uh, shutdown of business. A lot of times people stop and they say, you know, here's the cost if we want to, you know, recover from ransomware, but they don't look at the bigger picture. And if you can somehow factor in that larger picture across your organization, it becomes a lot less cost efficient to be prepared for a ransomware attack. And, And that's easier to take to your senior management and your board and justify the cost. What about the emotional impact to a company to have... I don't know, this this sense of violation. It seems like it's hard to put a dollar sign on that. You know, that's something I I haven't thought a lot about because usually we're in the middle of it trying to recover from it. But you're absolutely right. And and not only that, you're you're wondering, will this happen again? Did I get everything? And and so you're spending a lot of energy and a lot of cycles uh, trying to make sure that you've done everything you can uh, to, to prevent it. And then your your folks are wondering, could it happen again? What sort of advice do you have for folks to make sure that they've got these these things covered? Well, you know, back in the the Stone Ages, uh, David, back in the eighties and nineties, when I first started in this industry, we spent so much time protecting against environmental disasters. We'd have multiple setups. There was no cloud, and we would spend a lot of time testing failovers, testing recoveries, and people just have lost sight of that. They don't spend the time that we used to. I, I guess when you spend, you know, $20 million on a computer in the eighties, you're going to take the time to verify that it'll roll over. But now things have gotten so, you know, grand, but less expensive that they just, we assume failover. So you need to take that time to, to ensure you can recover from things. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I, it strikes me that so many people, they cut these corners because they think it may give them some sort of competitive advantage. And maybe they're just playing the odds that, you know, whistling past the graveyard that is not going to happen to us. But then when it does, 
boy, it can sure seem to be short-sighted. You've nailed it because it is short-sighted. And if you if you get get away with it, then I guess it's okay. But I think somehow as an industry, we, we, we talk about this a lot, but how do we get folks to consider, you know what, their, their, their posture, their defensive mechanisms that are in place really protect this company. And, and it's a cost of being a good company with a good reputation. So you want to do it rather than the stockholders always wanting, you know, if it's a, if it's a public company, always wanting, you know, your low EBITDA and you're hitting your margins and all that. Like, how do you add that value in and convince people how critical it is? Yeah. Yeah. And I did not answer your question. I put it out there as I don't know. I mean, but it's something we got to do. <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, I, it's it's not an easy question, but it's certainly uh, if you're the person standing in front of the board of directors and saying, "Boy, I really thought we'd, uh, you know, we, we were just crossing our fingers and hoping we'd be lucky," that's a hard conversation to face. That, that's exactly right. And then you don't want to be the board that the security guy has a bunch of "I told you so" emails that said, "I tried to bring this up, but you wouldn't listen." Like they're, right. you know what I mean? So it's, it's, we got to figure out some way to make this an equitable thing that people value. So it actually adds value to a organization's um, bottom line and not yeah. a monetary value as much as this is a, is a reassurance type thing. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, David DeFore, thanks for joining us. Great being here, David. That's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Trey Hester, Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Ivan, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.